You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Well, this morning, you may have noticed some new faces, maybe among you, but also up here. My dear brother, Jacob Breeze, a minister in the Methodist Church, is here celebrating with us today, as well as some of the leaders from his team. They are a part of a church called Holy Family in Houston, in the downtown Houston area. And they, we've, we got connected because uh, we're, we, there's not a lot of us doing like sacramental church planting, basically. Um, and so we, we found each other and got connected and we've been friends since. And they're here just to, to see what's up with resurrection, what's going on, and, and to just uh, enjoy Sunday with us. So it's good to have you here. Thank you for reading the gospel. Um, more about that in a minute. But today, you may have noticed, things are white, things are a little different. Stephen Hebert even uh, framed our transfiguration icon. So kids, if you're having trouble tracking with what's going on today, why things are so special, you can go over to that icon after the service or maybe at communion and wonder and look at this amazing thing that has happened with us and with Jesus. So today is the Feast of the Transfiguration. So for some of you, the word transfiguration may just be total mumbo jumbo. You may not recognize that at all. It doesn't ring any bells. Um, this feast day is actually, it's not incredibly old, um, but, but it's such a good one because I don't know about y'all, but when I grew up, I didn't hear much about this story. And I think a lot of us in the church kind of don't know what to do with the story, maybe is why we don't hear much about it. Um, so today we're actually going to spend some time looking at that, and in particular, the first half of the reading that we heard today. Um, you may recall that we had uh, transfiguration readings earlier in Epiphany. So you're like, haven't we done this? Yes, we did this at the end of Epiphany. Um, but today is actually the feast day of the transfiguration. So we're all caught up. Everybody cool about this? Good. Wonderful. Um, this is this wonderful story where Jesus' face, his appearance of his face, starts, it alters. It it's transfigured into this brightness, this beauty. And then he's got, he, he didn't travel alone. He's got Elijah and Moses who, aren't they long gone? Well, apparently not. They're with Jesus and they're transfigured as well beside him. And in this remarkable story, by the way, Christians believe this historically happened. This is true. Okay? Yeah, this is incredible, right? And as clear-headed people, we gotta, we got to wrestle with the fact that Christians believe in remarkable things. You don't see this every day. So wherever you're coming from, we believe that this is happening. This has happened historically. It's beautiful. So we have this remarkable story. We get a glimpse through the eyes of Peter, James, and John, who are with Jesus at the time. They are privileged to see this glorified Christ radiating with the glory of God the Father through him. It's like um, the, the evening prayer line. You know the evening prayer where it says, pure brightness in the Fosilaron, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven. This is what we're seeing in Jesus through the eyes of Peter and James and John. This kind of vision isn't something either we may think, well, you can just kind of watch the transfiguration like you would watch the TV and you can be a spectator and see something apart from yourself and it doesn't really demand anything of you. Not like the transfiguration. This is unlike any other vision you've seen before. It actually demands something of us. Seeing Jesus this way, we can't walk away unchanged. We can't unsee what we've seen, and it changes everything when we see Jesus glorified. Seeing God for Eastern Orthodoxy is actually a way of participating in God's nature, more so. You can't just spectate, but you're actually caught up in this thing that God is doing in the transfiguration. 
So that's what we're going to be considering um, this morning. And at the same time, as we kick off, uh, as we read the Transfiguration story, we're also kicking off a sermon series. And it's like, it works so perfectly in the lectionary. I just, it's genius. We have the Transfiguration. We're kicking off the sermon series called Follow Me. Uh, what's there it is, taking on the eyes of faith. Follow me, taking on the eyes of faith. And what we're gonna do in this sermon series that's preceding this week is uh, considering what it means to not only see Jesus, but then to obey him like God's voice broke through the the clouds and said, right? What does it mean to see Jesus, to participate in this vision, but then to actually respond with our lives and obey him and follow him, doing the things that he's asked us to do? So let's begin in verse 28. If you have your Bibles, you can open it with us in Luke 9, 28. It begins this way. Let me read it for us. Now about eight days after these sayings. What sayings? Why eight days? Interesting. The previous verse, let's back up one verse, verse 27. This is what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, there's some standing here who will not taste death, death before they see the kingdom of God. Then, eight days later, They ascend this holy mountain to pray with the Lord. And all of a sudden, Jesus' face changes. Moses, and you see the picture? Do you think this is what Jesus meant when he said that some of you standing here, before you will face death, you will see the kingdom of God? Interesting. Eight days later. It all matters. Verse 31 says, they appeared in glory. They, not only Jesus, but Moses and Elijah were glowing with glory. They appeared in glory, verse 31 says, and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They, all of them. And though the scripture said those disciples were weighed down by sleep, some of them couldn't even stay awake. They couldn't make the journey up the hill, perhaps. Those who remained awake, who stayed with the Lord awake, got to see this vision. And then this is interesting. Did you hear Peter in his letter saying, we were eyewitnesses. Isn't that fascinating? You know this isn't just some like religious kind of rhetoric story that throw out there just to make Jesus look good. You have Peter later writing in his letter, we were eyewitnesses of these things. We saw this with our own eyes. Peter blurts out in this scene, it's good for us to be here, Lord, right? Almost, you can imagine him, I'm not sure if it's good for us to be here. This is overwhelming. It's good for us to be here, right? We should make some tents. We'll, we'll, we'll set up some booths for you. Make yourself comfortable. What, what do you want? Look busy. Look, do something, guys. You must have been terrified. Can you imagine being before not only a glorified Jesus, but then Moses and Elijah? Are you kidding? What would you do? It's like those moments where you meet someone famous or maybe you're taking someone out on a date and just kind of foot in mouth. You just start saying things uncontrollably and you can't stop, you know? You're terrified. I think this is a little bit of where Peter might have been coming from. And before Peter could really go ahead of the Lord and, and say all these wonderful things and build all these beautiful tents, the voice of God interrupts him. Peter, just chill for a second. This is my son, my, cho- my chosen. Listen to him is the voice, is what the voice says. Okay, I've got, I've got, there are not only like 89 sermons in this one passage, but I've got like 18 questions already. For instance, what exactly is going on here, first of all, in this appearance? Why this vision? Why is this necessary? What exactly were the disciples seeing? We heard the description, but you know how sometimes words can't quite capture what you see? You know? Why eight days later? Interesting. 
Now, and also what changed here? Was it Jesus' glory? Did, did, did God sprinkle extra glory on Jesus? Or were the disciples' eyes opened to who Jesus had been all along? And if that's the case, was Jesus hanging on the cross the same glory showing upon him at the time? Can you imagine that? Interesting. What changed there? His glory or their eyes? Was he always this way? Where did Moses and Elijah come from? How did that happen? And what were they discussing about what Jesus was going to accomplish in Jerusalem? Interesting. Can you imagine that conversation? So then the crowds are going to yell, you know, crucify him, crucify him. And I'm going to just keep going. Moses, what do you think about that? Yep, that sounds good, Jesus. You know, what were the, I don't know, what were they talking about? Why atop a mountain did all of this happen? And why the cloud? Why only Peter, James, and John, the beloved disciples? Why did God find it necessary to audibly speak to his disciples in some way, in that way? And wait a, wait a second, doesn't all of this kind of sound familiar? We just read Exodus 34. Doesn't the whole mountaintop, cloud of God's presence, voice of God, crazy experience, doesn't that kind of sound familiar? Well, it totally should sound familiar in scripture, especially for people like Moses and especially for people like Elijah, right? This should all sound familiar. In this totally remarkable scene, you can see how all of the Old Testament, all of sacred history of what God has done for his people Israel atop mountains full of clouds is being summarized, is coming to a, to a head here in this vision in the transfiguration. And for all of those who would claim that Jesus was a blasphemer, who didn't know the law, who was, who was breaking the, the Torah in every way you possibly could, for all those haters, all those naysayers, here Jesus shows up with Moses and Elijah. Man, can you imagine? God's showing Jesus as not only in keeping with the Torah and keeping with the law and keeping with every prophecy of all the Old Testament prophets. He's not only showing it in keeping, he's actually showing him as the fulfillment of both the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. You see that? Jesus is the one who has fulfilled all of that perfectly atop a mountain with the covering of God's holy presence, which should ring a bell of like Mount Sinai. Of like every, there's a million of these, but should remind us maybe of the cleft in the rock where Elijah was tucked in there when he said, or when Moses said, let me see your face. You can't see my face and live. You can see the backside. Let me tuck you in this rock, put my hand over you. And as I pass, I'll let you see my glory from behind, from my back. Or the cloud in the wilderness. Do you remember this? God led his people, Israel, through, out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness, and he led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So every time we light incense, people, I want this to like ring a bell for you. Anytime we light incense, those are the stories that should be sparking off in your head. This cloud that leads us, this, this place where God is present and promised to be present with us. If you can't see and your allergies are killing you, I, I'm sorry. Just remember, though, the reason we do this and the reason the church has always done this for so long is to remember these beautiful stories that God is not somewhere else, but he's among us. And we've entered into this cloud of his presence this morning. We're seeing all of this summarized here in this transfiguration vision. Before all of this, 
um, the disciples were rightly fearful, standing and beholding this, this view, right? As they entered the cloud and it overshadowed them, Matthew's gospel, a few of the gospels depict this, the synoptics, they say, Matthew's gospel says that they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear when God's voice announced who Jesus was, just in case there was any doubt. He said, my son, my chosen. What an interesting place to have, to, to see this reaction of the disciples when God announces who Jesus is in this beautiful scene, their reaction is what? To fall to the ground in fear, terrified. And it wasn't a kind of fear that was, well, actually, I'm, I'm sure it was the kind of fear that was, we could die now. I'm sure it was. But it was also, and we know this from Peter's comment, Lord, it's good for us to be here. It was a fear that not only recognized the holiness of God and fell to the ground, prostrate before him, but also longed to remain there with God forever. God, don't leave. We want to be here with you. Oh, if we could have that heart, that beautiful tension. And I hope as a church, the, 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 the reverence here that we have is accompanied by this longing to be near God. I think that's why we're here. I think that's why we come to the table every week. In fact, the reason, and I wanted to, to point this out, the reason that we bow so much at the altar, if you've seen this, or maybe when the cross goes by and we bow, the reason that when we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bow, or when we say Holy, 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 we bow, all of these excuses that we have to bow, we want to couple this reverent fear of a holy God with a longing to be in his presence. That's really the heart behind it. If you've never done that with your body, I dare you to try it, see what happens. It is amazing what happens when you use your body to lead your heart, to lead your soul into worship. Bow your body at the name of God. You'll see us even bowing our head at the name of Jesus. Every chance we get to remind ourselves, not only are we not the most important person in this room, but we're in the presence of a most holy God and we long to be in his presence. So all of this vision, this falling to the ground, this frantic kind of look busy, do something among the disciples, why? We have to ask, why, why? Why should the disciples see this? Why should they be able to see Christ's glory? Well, God's voice answers that question, I think, for us. This is my chosen. Y'all, as they say in Texas, obey him, listen to him. Why, what is, why show us this, God, so that you would obey him, that you would listen to him, that you would recognize this is my authenticated Messiah who I promised to bring about from the beginning of the age, as far back as you can remember, people, I've made this promise to you, here he is. Now, would you listen to him? Would you obey him? This is what God's voice says to his disciples. Early church fathers, they understood this vision of Christ um, on his own terms to always be this um, mysteriously participatory vision. Like I said, it's not just spectating, but it's always demanding something of us always involving the viewer, calling one to see God, listen, church, calling one to see God in order to participate in his life, not just to watch him, but to know him, to be caught up in him. This isn't something that Sean's come up with because it's, you know, super insightful. No, this is like the oldest trick in the early church father's book. This, to see God is to participate in his life. This is basic Christianity, to follow him, in other words. Y'all tracking with me? We don't want, for instance, we don't come here on Sunday morning and go, what a beautiful altar. Sean, that's such a gorgeous chalice. All right, we'll see y'all next week. How ridiculous would it be to see the beauty of God given to us and to not receive it? We come up here not only to see 
this glorified Christ, but actually partake in the glorified Christ, to consume him, put him in our own bodies and to share in his own divine life. Are y'all tracking with me? You see what's happening here? This is our holy hill. This is the transfiguration. And we are the disciples who fall down saying, holy, 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 and then hold out our hands to receive his divinity, his humanity into us, that we would participate with him. That's amazing. That's a, it's Sunday morning here in Austin, Texas in 2017, and we're participating in the divine life of Christ. That is totally amazing. We get to see God's glory and consume it. God, um, in the, the, I'm sorry, the church fathers have often used the passage of, of Moses being tucked in the rock that I mentioned earlier to help explain what's happening in the transfiguration. The rock is Christ, the fathers interpreted. The cleft that shelter us is Christ. The hand that covers us is Christ. And whose glory we see, whose back we follow, the back they interpreted as the flesh of God, Christ is the glory that we see. Gregory of Nyssa says, he who follows Christ sees the back of God and to follow God wherever he might lead us is to behold God. Likewise, when Philip, do you remember this, asked Jesus if he would show them the Father, just show us the, show us the Father, that'll be enough, just show us the Father. What does Jesus say in response in John 14? He says this, whoever has seen me sees the Father. Christ is the image of the invisible God, is what Christians believe. It's what Colossians 1 says. And in him all dominion and power and glory is given in this one. And what does he say to us? What does this voice from the cloud say to us? Listen to him. Jesus says, follow me. You want to know where I live? Come and see. Join me. When God gives us the eyes of faith to see him, in this amazing transfiguration or in any way that Jesus has declared himself to be known and be visible, when God gives us those eyes of faith to see his glory in his crucified son, Jesus, it's always accompanied with a command to follow, to obey. This is what he wants from us. Sight and discipleship, they go hand in hand. You can't just be a Christian that sees and not follows. Seeing Jesus requires that we follow him, that we do something about it. We've only got to ask, is this Jesus worth following, the one that we see? I think for so many of us, we see a different kind of Jesus. Maybe not the Jesus of the transfiguration, maybe a Jesus that has come from your own family tradition, maybe some Jesus that's been like a caricature of what you think Jesus is like. And in all of those things, you may actually be missing the true person of Jesus. What Jesus do we see? Have you really seen the glory of Jesus? Have you seen this Christ that radiates with the glory of God who commands the wind and the waves to be calm? Have you seen that Jesus before? Have you seen the Jesus who heals the blind? Have you seen the Jesus who, when the woman caught in adultery was gonna be stoned to death, stood in the way? And not only condemned everyone who was going to judge her, but also turned to her and said, sin no more. Have you seen that, Jesus? 
Have you seen the Jesus who said to the children, let them come to me? Disciples, get out of the way. Let the children come to me. Have you seen the Jesus who, when he saw the crowds hungry, had compassion and miraculously fed them? Have you seen that Jesus? Have you seen the Jesus who stood up in the, in the synagogue, reading the scroll of Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, saying, here's who I am. I'm the, I'm the one who's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor to set the captives free, restore sight to the blind. Have you seen that Jesus? And most importantly, have you seen the Jesus who ascended the holy hill to hang on a cross and die? For you, for me. For the life of the world, have you really behold that Jesus in his glory? Friends, I, I, I'm convinced, and this is personally, my love of God has, has grown since I was a teenager. But it seems like the more I come in contact with seeing who Jesus really was, the more my, my love of God has deepened. I don't, I don't know how you can turn away from seeing that kind of Jesus and not loving him and not wanting to be near him and not wanting to follow him. Even if you don't believe he is the son of God, what other human being in all of human history has more of a beautiful life than him? There's something compelling about Christ when we see him. Those eyes of faith where we get to really see the radiance of God's glory through Jesus, they're not something we can kind of stir up emotionally in our own, but they're actually something that God grants to us this revelation. He gives us the eyes of faith, but we've got to be willing to receive those eyes. We've got to be willing to say, Lord, I want to see you in your glory. Do you think God's going to say, no, you're not ready for that yet? No, of course not. Of course, he would respond to the penitent, those who turn from sin and say, God, I want to see you in your glory. Of course, he would give you the eyes of faith to see his son. This one who brings true justice upon the world who makes peace by the blood of his cross. Of course, God would want you to see this glorified son. We can see him this morning, church. We can see him no matter where you are in your life's journey, no matter where you are as a Christian. Sean, you don't understand the, the trash I've got to deal with in my life. It's okay. I don't have to understand it. In fact, Jesus does. And you can see him this morning. Not as a spectator, not as someone who's, who's just gonna walk out this door and, and be so defeated that their life's just gonna be ruined by sin the moment they walk out of this door again. It's just gonna all kick up again. Put that aside for a second. Jesus knows. And you can see him this morning. Those eyes of faith can be granted to you this morning and his body and blood can be placed into your hand that you could consume his own life and follow him. Having seen him, following him. That can all happen this morning. This is why I want to point out to you guys the importance of praying with your body. When we come to the altar, we lay our hands like this. By the way, if, you don't, if you've never known this, um, the fathers say, make an altar for the Lord with your hands when you receive communion, placing your right over left. Some will even, and I, I myself do this, out of this reverent fear and wonder of who God is and this gift, they'll come up, place their hands like this, and even bow their head. Holy God, how, how is this possible? Praying with our bodies can change our lives. It can provide us the spiritual eyes of faith that we so long for. When we sing holy, 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 
when the cross comes by, like I mentioned, or when the creed says he came down from heaven, you, you will see people using their body in reverence to attach themselves to this thing that we're saying and believing and wanting to participate. He came down from heaven, recalling the incarnation of God's grand condescension to us and saying, God, how is that? How, how is that for our sake that you've done this? He was, and then on the third day, he was raised again and everyone stands up celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Using your body to venerate Christ is so powerful. If you've never done it, <laughs> you're among people who are using their body. You, you will not be noticed if you've never done it and you start trying to do it. It's fine, it's wonderful. Crossing yourself, kneeling, bowing. It's all, it's all a vehicle for us in prayer to have those eyes of faith and to participate in this wonderful vision that God has put before us in Jesus. All of those bodily postures though, they mean absolutely nothing. And they actually make a mockery of the gospel if we don't actually obey Jesus too, right? This is why Jesus has given us, God has given us this sight. Not that we could just see him, but that we would respond and obey him. Listen, listen to him, God says. So church, what changed on the Mount of the Transfiguration? Was it Jesus's glory or was it the disciples' eyes? What needs to change this morning for us? Does Jesus need more glory for us to see him or do our eyes need to be opened in the place we're in today with all the drama we've got going on in our lives? Resurrection, may God give us the eyes of faith to truly see his glory and in seeing his glory lifted up, may we be likewise transfigured into that glory, not just watching it from afar, but caught up in that glory of God. May we be transfigured into his glory, capable of following him, of being obedient to him, responding to his invitation of love to us, who with the Father and the Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Can we take a moment of silence to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us as we continue to worship? You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.